0: all right welcome to take five for real estate um i'm your host owen ron uh i have a great guest today and i'm gonna say if if there's a pope of the heights i'm gonna say bill baldwin is pope of the heights bill welcome to the show
1: thank you very much owen i'm happy to be here
0: good um well, let's jump in. How did you get into real estate? Tell us a little bit about your career and, and kind of what, what is up with Bill now. There's a lot of stuff just chatting moments ago with you. I know there's a lot of things you got going on other than real estate. So share those things with us also.
1: Sure. Happy to. Most people have, have heard my story before, but I'm happy to repeat it. I mean, I'm basically from Huntsville, grew up in Huntsville, considered myself kind of this Huntsville sort of person. I was in the restaurant business. Uh, I was married uh, and at age 33 uh, I uh, came out divorced my wife and I I moved to the heights because it really reminded me of Huntsville it was kind of this small town feel uh, but I wanted to get away from the small town and and lose myself into the big city and I I literally chose real estate because it was the easiest way to be self-employed I did not think I was employable (laughs) for other people so uh, I had friends in real estate I did not have a great impression of real estate in 1997 I thought it was a uh women with bouffant hairdos driving around in mercedes um because that was just kind of the impression that i knew but but i uh i started over i moved to a little garage apartment at 1134 dunbar for 300 dollars a month uh cool. with two children and, and not a dime to my name and started over totally in uh, life. I did not know a soul in Houston, Texas, um, but really, I was the right age, 33. Uh, I just delved into my career, making a living and, and recovering, you know, from just starting over with nothing was very important to me. And it, it's been a great fit. The Heights was a great fit for me. I mean, little bungalows were about $135,000 back then. My average client was a single female lawyer she was not threatened by my sexuality. Her boyfriend was not (laughs) jealous of me. And uh, her parents thought that I could take pretty good care of her at my age. And so really, that's how I made a very good living. In 98, 99, I got into new construction, I'm pretty good at having a vision. So these old bungalows, you uh, rip out the purple carpet and paint the pink walls, and there's some right. pretty charming artifacts underneath there. And I, and I had a good vision for those sort of things, and a good mindset for what's a good way to spend money or not. So, yeah, it's been 23, 24 years here in the Heights. Um, I certainly sell houses otherwise. Uh, yeah. in other areas. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of known today as the king of the heights. Uh, yeah. I've been seeing a lot. Of, and in many ways, it's good and bad. It's it's an insult. Many people think that I have changed the heights. It's not the same heights that it was in 1997. We did have bars on the windows and chain link fences and Doberman pensions in about half of those uh, homes that I sold. You know, but and it has evolved and it has gotten less affordable and it's gotten less diversified. But but it's still a pretty pleasant place to live. And I think given the status of 1997 or 2021 i'll take 2021 any day yeah
0: i agree i had a house with those burglar bars and woodland heights on ridge
1: there you go uh, <laughs> you know it very well uh, yeah
0: so I mean, my involvement
1: is, but... with the heights association helped you know so i've spent right. decades working in the association working in In a number of arenas to make it safer, to improve the schools, to have better sidewalks and curbs and gutters, more retail living in harmony. So I mean, I spent a number of years as the face of the Houston Heights Association, and I think that helped and it, it is it's we're selling homes, but really we're selling communities. And our, our passion at Boulevard Realty is community involvement, leaving right. the place better than where you found it. You know, Whether yeah. that's your involvement in planting more trees or working in bike lanes or right. wh- whatever that might be, that's really been our passion for the last 23 years.
0: Yeah. Well, tell us about, you, know, you have a podcast, uh you just mentioned and then we do. Uh, also the the free space that you have in your office both things are community-minded
1: we're, we're a little strange over here at Boulevard Realty uh so one of the things we started early on we, in for the firm we have a government affairs person an employee whose main responsibility is to train and help the agent ask, ask questions how a local government impacts a homeowner or a renter the city council, the school board, the county commissioner, permitting, minimum lot size and things. And so we've had this government affairs person for a number of years. And then we have a political affairs person on staff. And Mario is also the executive director of Your Houston, which is our nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a quality of life, issues driven uh, nonprofit. We don't get involved in national items, but things that would impact a Houstonian. That can be homelessness, that can be biking home safety, it can be speed limits, it can be anything to do with your quality of life. And that uh, he leads an organization called Your Houston, which is the nonprofit. Your Houston has a website, yours Houston has a Facebook site, but Your Houston does these podcasts. And they're also quality of life issues that we started during COVID-19, just as a way to have outreach, because we used to have a lot of meetings and, and things, and now we just have podcasts. Yeah, it's, it's things from the police chief to public health officials to um, greater Northside management district. Yeah. We've had a wide variety of people. About once every two weeks, we throw out another podcast of things that would really just impact the quality of life of Houstonians. Right. So that's yeah. through your Houston. And uh, we. I've always kind of, when I bought the firm and I, I, I gave it a name, I always thought the very first thing was this website, which was Your Boulevard, because Boulevard is designed for it to be wherever you are, whether that was Seawall Boulevard, whether that was Bel Air Boulevard, whether that was Sunset Boulevard in West U, or Ella wow. Boulevard in, you know, Oak Forest. And so our websites have always been your blbd. Our, you know, my website is bill at your yep. Yep. We created your space out of that same mindset and it's adjacent to our office on the ground level. And it's this free <laughs> space community space. It's, it's right. hard to describe. It's free coffee. It's free wine. It's free conference room. It's free shredding. It's free internet service. It's free library. It's its just a free space that in, anyone can come and use. And they use right. it to independent contractors stop in, mothers dro- who drop off their children from school and who don't want to be at home by themselves. It's, it's a sense of community. Of course, my agents and my um, contacts use it, but you know, in any given day, dozens of people that I do not know are hanging out at your space, <laughs> uh, which is a good way for them to get to know us, and a good way for us to get to know them. So we've been yeah. very pleased with your space and what it was able to yeah. do for us as access to new people.
0: And what's the, what's the official address of that?
1: Nine two seven Studewood, right here in the yeah. middle of, yeah. of the Heights. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, you've been in the Heights for a while. What 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 are the two or three major changes over the last? 20 years that you've seen in the Heights? And then what is the challenge for the Heights going forward?
1: The, the Heights was kind of the sleeper community. You know, when I got here in the late 90s, it was kind of Montrose was the inner city, the, you know, Cherryhurst, all these little areas kind of by the Empire Cafe, they, they were all so popular. And, Heights was thought of as this sleeper little community. It was dry. No restaurants were open after 3 p.m. The sidewalk just kind of rolled up or whatever. And and I remember uh, when uh, Shade, you know, wanted to open up and they wanted a private license. And I mean, the whole Baptist temple was there speaking against the evils of serving alcohol in the Heights, you know. And what we needed was (laughs) Shade and the Heights. and, And we needed, you know, some of these restaurants and things. And I think having the retail Uh, added to what was C&D hardware and Buchanan's and a few of those little things that were just staples in the neighborhood. We needed those restaurants in order to attract a different group of people to come and live here. So, I mean, and it started with, you know, young homosexuals and then it was young couples with no kids. And then those, those, those couples would leave. They would go back out to the Woodlands or Briar Grove or Cinco Ranch, you know, typically after four or five years. The single biggest change that I've seen in the Heights is that now it is full of families. (laughs) There are kids everywhere. It's like they threw up the kids just on every (laughs) block, you know, which is a vibrant community. It it makes people feel safer. So Yes, you have the dog walkers and you have the runners and you have the bicyclists, but to see the schools thrive and to see the number of people that stayed versus leaving and going back out to the suburbs. That's awesome. Of course, it's made it more expensive and it really it's not as diversified. I mean, we are a white, gentrified neighborhood over here. And, and the struggle is to a, make it more affordable for everyone, which i have been a proponent of even the apartment complex. When Kaplan Ben Hur went away and we got this apartment complex and there again, a number of people wanted to protest, I'm saying, look, The single person has to have a place to live. The worker on 19th street has to have a place to live. The teacher has to have a place to live. The divorced father has to have a place to live. We need a few of these things and and we need to find a way to live in harmony, apartments. When I got involved with the the, uh, Heights Association, there were some, these purists that really liked old houses. And I think that they did a great job of preserving old houses. But people would literally come to the Heights Association and say, I'm sorry, I live in one of the new houses on X, Y, or Z. And I'm just going, no one joining a volunteer association should apologize for the That's type right. of housing that they live in. You know, we're, it, it's diversity. It's yeah. apartment drawers. It's renters. It's bungalows. It's, yeah. you know, white <laughs> farmhouses, for God's sake. Yeah. We've got plenty of them, you know, but you need a little variety. And I think that the, continuing struggle is is add more variety make sure people of every color of every religion of every ethnicity right. feels comfortable living in this sort of neighborhood of course it's been a bastion of liberalism now yeah we have trump signs in the neighborhood that we wouldn't have had 20 or 30 years ago variety is good yeah. <laughs> difference of opinions is good uh one of my biggest thing with the heights associations people have always been they want us to be against something you know, be against i45 or against walmart or against heb and it's never been that way we for 20 years we've said let's be for better safety better security more trees better birds you know let's be for things and not let's not be against things when you start picking a battle. And I was president of the association when Walmart came. Look, I've never driven into that parking lot and I'm not going to shop at Walmart. That's my choice. But you know what? There were plenty of old people who needed cheaper milk and a place to buy fabric and it kept it affordable for them to stay in the neighborhood. And half of our neighborhood really wanted Walmart and the other half really didn't. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. A homeowners association of volunteer members really shouldn't be in, in the in the business of picking and choosing. I remember when Onion Creek came in, I mean, huge lawsuit between the Heights Association and Gary Mosley over there over selling alcohol and having live music in an outdoor patio. Let's don't get in a bunch of lawsuits with businesses. It's just not the thing to do. When, when I ran the very first time, I ran on a platform that condom shops are good. Somebody needs condoms. Some, it's safer for people with HIV. It's safer for people who don't want children. If you don't like condoms, don't vote for me. And now, Condoms aren't a sexy thing, but it's the reality of where we are. Right. We shouldn't be against condom shops. <laughs> it's right. pretty hypocritical to go. There. And so I've always been out there as a person just to kind of say it like it is. And right. I've pissed off some people and other people kind of like me. So yeah. it seemed to work just fine right. for me. Love it. Been
0: a fan of yours for years. So Thank you. <laughs> um, so expanding your footprint, not out of the heights now, what what are the challenges do you see for Houston in general uh, in real estate in the next five, 10
1: years. Uh, affordability is is always going to be right. a challenge. And that's a challenge in most major urban cores. I think dealing with the reality of climate change and being realistic about Houston and flooding. We're, we are a city that floods. We have always flooded. We are always going to flood. There's no amount of billions or trillions of dollars that are going to keep us from living with water, we just need to live safer (laughs) with water. We need to learn how to live in harmony with that water. And I think a number of things, I, I spend a fair amount of my time becoming, I believe, what is the foremost expert on flooding in Houston in real estate. And I teach a class for three hours for the Houston Association of Realtors that we've opened up through your Houston to neighborhood associations any group that'll listen we'll we'll go and talk and it's a, it's a 3 hour class about living with water. Harvey was this pivotal moment because we had equitable distribution of pain and suffering right, right. if just Westberry or Meyerland floods no one in West Houston cares if just Cinco Ranch floods no one could care less about that over here in the Heights. but when everyone floods then you finally get you know the stamina to go and do something right. you know city or county wide and so changing flood maps changing topography changing flood insurance programs we have artificially in kept the value of flood insurance so low that people in high-risk areas because it's $499 for the flood insurance. Right. Well, 60% of the houses that flood in Harris County are not in the 100 or 500-year floodplain, which tells you that you have not mapped accurately in the right. 100 or 500-year floodplains, and you haven't adequately told people who are buying a home of the risk of flooding. And so dealing with flooding, dealing with affordability, dealing with crime, dealing with homelessness, dealing with these quality-of-life issues, I think the pandemic shown Wealthy people got wealthier and poor people got poor. And, and we can't have this city that doesn't work for everyone. Now, not everyone wants to be a billionaire uh, or work hard enough to be a multimillionaire. But I mean, you have to be able to live and survive, have a living wage, be able to provide for yourself and your family. And everyone's entitled to to good schools. I I am really proud. We're making great progress of just talking about inherent discrimination in real estate. I mean, Mm -hmm. white neighbors sell to white friends in white neighborhoods, you know, and so it doesn't give people equal access. So these coming soons or telling about your uh, house to your next door group doesn't provide the same opportunity from someone who's coming from a different area, you know, and so you've got to be, yeah. I mean, even, I mean, changing the name from master bedroom to primary suite is is a good intention, but it's the first step of recognizing that you have inherent bias, you know, and look, white realtors have white real estate clients. Black realtors have black real estate clients. What we need to do is see less color and integrate ourselves a little bit more. Quit promoting people who want to be zoned to Harvard elementary. It's because it's a 98% white upper middle class elementary school. That's not fair for everyone because not everyone can afford to live zoned to Harvard Elementary. Right, right. And so you can't keep poor schools poor. <laughs> you've got to find a right. way to make all schools better. And, and I think real estate and real estate firms and, and realtors themselves can do a lot to help perpetuate some of these problems that we've had in right. the past and solve right. them.
0: It's hard to get out of the rut and make a, a substantial change when you've done doing the same thing.
1: Every day for the last (laughs) last year, so
0: Um, so I have a question. So you know, we both lived through everyone lived through COVID, or not? Well, in the real estate industry, what happened at COVID is instantly everything shut down, and all the all the hockey stick graphs suddenly turned south, and everything was it was terrible. And you know what's going to happen? And then about a month later, everything ramped up. You know, home sales started popping, and it became panic buying almost. So what, what, why did that happen? What's your opinion on that? And then the second part of that is, you know, I have a lot of people that said, oh, we have all these people that they, had to, they wanted to live in the hill country, wanted to get the heck out of town because of it, or they wanted to live in the suburbs. Well, at the same time, it seemed like a lot of people wanted to live in loop too. Yep. So, I mean, was there just a big transition of people, you know, round robin or what?
1: I think so I a couple of saying. things. Yeah. A, after the pause, we were all scared, not only of COVID. Hell, I was scared up $37 a barrel for oil. Remember, my life is a lot more impacted by oil than it is COVID in the grand scheme of things. Uh, so you had a couple of those things going that that put us on pause, but yeah, I think people figured out if they didn't like where they lived, they wanted to do something about it. The first wave we really saw were people in the city, most of them living in very expensive apartments. You know, paying five thousand dollars for a two bedroom on Yale Street. You know, five thousand dollars. You could go to Cinco Ranch or Pearland or the Woodlands and buy a two hundred and seventy nine thousand dollar house. You're not going to commute anytime soon, and it. Two point seven five percent interest rate. Your house payment was half of the rent, and you had a yard and a lot more space than you did before. And so, we started seeing that in in the suburbs just instantly. Two hundred twenty nine thousand dollars houses going for 240, $299 houses going for three nineteen because that was the comfort zone. That price point was an easy place for us to instill a little confidence in real estate, and in that apartment complex, look. Couldn't use the dog park. Couldn't use the gym. Couldn't use the swimming pool. Your rent didn't go down by forty percent because you couldn't use any of the amenities. So I mean, that that was a problem. People in these high rises, same thing. Couldn't use the elevators. Couldn't. I had someone we had just closed in twenty seven twenty seven. Kirby and she was in the middle of a remodel. She had to live for eight months without her kitchen because they wouldn't allow contractors into the elevators during those months of COVID. Grandkids couldn't come see the grandparents or whatever in in yep. the elevator. So I think that caused some people to move and then yeah as and remember where there's a loser there's typically a winner someone made a hell of a lot of money in toilet paper business right and they were selling a lot of toilet paper there a lot of hand sanitizer a yeah. lot of pivoting to new things and so yeah you just and then at the same time people took their house off the market they weren't as moving up as quickly as they were you didn't go from the $500,000 house to the $800,000 house thinking that you were going to get a big bonus from the oil companies or something this year so you didn't move up and you couldn't sell if three kids were homeschooling and both of you were working from home and you didn't want to make up the beds every day so you weren't you didn't feel safe you Those houses didn't go on the market. We sold almost only vacant houses in April, May, and June. They were easier to show. They were safer perception. You know, so you you just start somewhere. So you had suburbs booming first because they were cheaper. Then you had these people move out out of the high rises, yes, into the country living, which was fine. And then you saw just it's a a number of supply and demand. Uh, I I give this talk all the time. I mean, I I had an event and I needed lemons this weekend. You know what's expensive? Lemons (laughs) because of a freeze there's no lemon so you want a lemon it's three for a dollar there used to be a dozen for a dollar but you know it's it's the cost of those things so fewer houses on the market 12,000 fewer houses today than we had in February 1 of 2020 before we'd ever heard the word COVID-19 and yet demand is greater than ever before so we're selling 40% more houses with 40% less houses to choose from causes bidding wars and price spikes or whatever it's not sustainable uh, and the inventory will increase i mean as as the job market's open back up more people will go and commute more i think oil being stable around 60 dollars a barrel is a very good thing for the Houston economy uh, and well we'll add more houses you you wouldn't sell your house today if you didn't have anywhere to go so we need a few more houses on the market in order for few more people that list their houses so it's definitely an inventory shortage but you know any of those things remodelers interior decorators interior designers they've all never been busier than they've been in in years and it's just taking you know recognizing where you live where you may be forced to hunker down for a while is more important than ever it's not just the address it's the actual physical location of in places like the Heights, look, they're green, they're walkable, they've got a port, you know, I tell tell people all the time, these front porches are defining my neighborhood. On the front porch, you wave to other people on the front porch, you can drink socially responsible (laughs) across the neighbor's yard, you know, by toasting to them with the wine. And and you do that in an inner city neighborhood where there are porches. In suburbia, you drive into your garage and you go into your backyard and you don't even see your neighbors. You you don't even know your neighbors in, in many Way so, these more concise areas uh, I think have have a familiarity that people just wanted some sort of connection with people and nature, and it was an easy way to get it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I live in one of those three story high rise, not high rise walk ups and Montrose yep. and so we start having happy hours on our driveway, and and that mm-hmm. seems to be. I'm kind of sad that. <laughs> you know people might go away to, yeah that might go away and so you know we invested in some nice chairs and a nice table out there and and we're kind of known for having our happy hours so i, I think
1: that's a, yeah I'm i a, think a, sense of community is very important we're yeah. you know we are connected people we like connectivity with other people and yeah. so i think you'll start seeing even more and more and more of that as people feel yeah. safer
0: yeah well i think uh i think that's probably we covered everything i wanted to cover do you have any uh any Thoughts or suggestions, or how about like tips or recommendations for people that are interested in selling their homes?
1: You know, I think I think it's important to understand that real estate's really about the people. And my industry is constantly bombarded with disruption. The uh, I talk about the compasses of the world are technology companies, and, and they're they're using technology in ways that we've never used them before. And in many ways, the consumer will benefit from from some of those things. So there's technology and there are marketing companies, but, but really it's core values of real estate They understand your neighborhoods. They understand the impact of city rules and regulations from permitting to planning and minimum lot size and redevelopment and the lack of zoning and and how all those things are going to impact not just your home, but your neighborhood. And you you really need a trusted advisor to get you from point A to point D. And there's a lot of points. Everyone would like to make real estate simple real estate is not simple. It's just not going to, it can be easier, but it's not easy to navigate prices, repairs, appraisals, surveys, encroachments, walkthroughs. I mean, there's just too many variables that that, assuming that some piece of technology is going to replace People is just not a realistic expectation. They should enhance our ability to make it easier for everyone. But I, but I think still it gets down to is the person doing mm-hmm. what's necessary to know how to navigate each and every one of those things. It's, you can't just be single-minded. Our industry is multifaceted and the individuals have to be multifaceted or have to have help. I mean, I, I, look, we have a staff member for every three agents because you know what our agents need? A lot of help. A lot they don't have help. to be marketing geniuses. They don't have to be flooding experts. They don't have to be knowledgeable in government. What they have to do is ask the right questions and not be afraid to ask questions and be right. able to seek the help. So, right. you know, dealing with these changes and these disruptions, uh, some of them will stick and some of them won't stick or whatever. Some of yep. these companies are going to be like the beepers of yesterday and just move yep. on and they won't be here much longer. And they can't continue to sustain these losses. You can't, you can't lose $250 million a quarter and assume that that's going to be a right. very good model, right. you know. Right, These right. are stock market driven industries and they are maybe the the that's yeah. it. That's it. And maybe they'll be here or maybe they won't be here. But some of those numbers are not sustainable. And so yeah. dealing with disruption, we're gonna to get to deal with it. But I think having a core person on your side who understands all the nuances is really never going to go away.
0: Yep. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Love all it. All right. So uh, what's the best way for someone to reach you if they would want to follow
1: up with? They can always call me. Believe me, I, I have told people for 25 years, if you'll just answer your damn phone, you can make a really good living in real estate. And if you don't answer your phone, they're going to call someone else who will. So you can just call me at 281-850-6862 or email me, uh, bill at yourblv.com. I text about 2,000 times a day and uh, get a little over 5,000 emails a day. So I'm not always the one emailing you back. But, but I think, yeah, just... A text, I'm a text away from almost anyone uh, in in the nation.
0: Yeah. Well, great. Well, Bill, I enjoyed it. I appreciate you coming on the the show. Thank you so much. uh, Have a good rest of your week.
1: We are. We're going to have a great day here at Boulevard Realty. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks.